for the first time I felt like more than just a dictionary as an interpreter. I wasn't I was doing more than just translating word for word what the physician was saying. I was able to add that human element to what I'm doing. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality healthcare through policy action and partnerships. Our primary objective is to prioritize the patient voice and health system delivery reform to achieve person-centered care. We are dedicated to amplifying the powerful stories of individuals and the collective needs of various communities across the country. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and today I'm honored to speak with Naomi Pathiwala, who is a student, scholar, and leader in her community dedicated to patient advocacy. When she isn't in the classroom or participating in her many extracurricular activities, you can find her cooking vegan food with her parents or dancing around her room. Well, thank you so much, Naomi, for joining us here on our podcast. I am so excited to end this season with your episode where we are talking about change makers. Your story was so powerful because you are so young and you realize the power that you can still have. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. So, yeah, I'm Naomi Pothiwala. I'm a 20-year-old undergraduate at East Carolina University. I'm studying public health with a minor in Hispanic studies. I grew up in North Carolina. For the last two years, I've been working as a Spanish interpreter, which has really inspired me and and taught me a lot about rural health inequities within uh, Latino patient populations. And what inspired you to become an interpreter? I'm Indian American, so I grew up speaking Gujarati at home. Um, That's what my parents speak. And then in high school, I took a bunch of classes in Spanish and got really into it. I had an incredible teacher. So (laughs) I just, it ended up becoming something I enjoyed and I, I liked doing. So when I came to ECU, my scholarship program had an opening about a job as a clinical translator in a mammography clinic. And I just said, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try. <laughs> and they, they hired me. I didn't really know what to expect when I started there, but I learned on the job. I would sit in on biopsies, on mammograms. I'd helped with scheduling. And as I got more into it, I became more confident. As a word of advice, that is how it's going to be the rest of your life as an adult. Never get intimidated by what the, the job posting says because half of it you'll learn there. My mentor, Sejal, she's from Gujarat. So I love that was one of your home languages. um, And that kind of led you down this path of exploring other languages. Being an interpreter in a mammography clinic, tell me about that because it can be kind of an intimidating experience. So what has your experience been like, you know, supporting and interpreting for women I think intimidating is the perfect word for it. It was also my first time at a mammography clinic. So I definitely was learning a lot about what mammograms are and that whole experience. And it is, it's a very scary experience. It's a very vulnerable feeling for someone who's getting tested and might have breast cancer or has breast cancer and needs a biopsy. Adding a language barrier to that mix only worsens that situation. When I'm speaking with patients on a regular basis, I'll meet people who aren't expecting to have an interpreter 
or waited uh, longer to get screened for breast cancer because they didn't think they'd have access to an interpreter and they felt like they needed to bring someone with them. And then also when they're even in the appointment, that disconnect between a healthcare provider and the patient due to that language barrier makes the entire experience it seemingly much more intimidating. It's really eye-opening that you said sometimes women delay this procedure because they don't expect to have access to an interpreter. And that highlights, you know, one of the major issues in every community is that access to getting the quality care that's holistic that you need. Small things like an interpreter make the world of a difference. Is there a a person or experience that you've had uh, that really sticks out to you where you realize like, wow, this is why I'm working here. Like, this is the value of what I do. Absolutely. Normally, when I have a patient come in, I meet them at the door when they have to fill in their paperwork. I'll help them with their paperwork and, and translating for that. And then I'll take them in. And before a biopsy or before a mammogram, they'll have a waiting period. You know, they'll have to change into the clothes that the clinic gives them. So I'll sit with them. And I remember one patient who, before her biopsy, was especially nervous. She was just sitting there and she was talking to me and she was really like visibly very anxious. I just talked to her. Just being able to talk to her and comfort her before her biopsy. Um, I'd only started working a couple of months earlier. For the first time, I felt like more than just a dictionary as an interpreter. I wasn't. I was doing more than just translating word for word what the physician was saying. I was able to add that human element to what I'm doing. And that very, very imperative part of that care, you know, you need those nice words, you need the encouragement, you need the comfort that comes with any kind of clinical procedure. And I think those niceties end up getting lost a lot in translation. So that definitely was the most fulfilling experiences I had because I felt like more so than just, oh, I can be your your Google Translate, I was able to personally bring a sense of that human element. I was talking to someone else about privilege. There are just some people who honestly aren't thinking about the barriers that other people are experiencing because they don't even see them themselves. I use this analogy with my friend. When you go into every restaurant, do you realize how wide the door is? Do you notice if it's wide enough for a wheelchair, if there's a ramp there? And he was like, no. And I was like, it's not because you don't care about people who are differently abled and are in you know, wheelchairs, it's just because this isn't top of mind for you because you have this access, you have no barriers. And I think it's similar when we talk about language barriers, that emotion and that calming presence and that just human interaction, as opposed to just like you said, being a Google Translate of like, this is the procedure, this is what it's going to do. You know, really having that back and forth is really, really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Even myself, when I didn't realize how much privilege there is to just be able to speak in English with any healthcare provider I'm with, you know, we live in the South and Southern hospitality is such a large part of the daily life and the daily interactions we have. But a lot of that gets taken out when you have a language barrier, when you're just translating, you know, the little things like, how are you doing, honey? Uh, (laughs) Those things get lost and they get taken out. And I think those are essential 
especially in procedures and and treatments that are so inherently vulnerable you know it's breast imaging it's it's a woman who's taking off her shirt and having to to be bare in front of a healthcare provider that in itself without any language barriers is a very vulnerable experience um so not having any of that comfort or as much comfort as your average patient, it does play a huge role in the quality of the care they receive. Tell us a little bit about the other roles and volunteer opportunities that you have and how that ties into your advocacy. I'm also an NCAHEC Scholars with our local area health education center. So through that, we have 40 hours a year of didactic learning in which we learn about the regional health disparities of Eastern North Carolina and how to be more um, culturally competent healthcare professionals. So it's a it's a really great group. It's about sixty of us that are all future healthcare professionals or future public health professionals who want to learn more about specifically how to address some of these needs. And then it's forty hours a year of observation and volunteering in rural clinical settings. And through that, I've also volunteered at our free clinic as an interpreter. Um, It's Pitt County Care Clinic, and they have free care for uninsured patients. And then outside of that, I've also, since May, I've been working in a UN volunteer project to start a global COVID-19 support center. So that has been really (laughs) very, very fulfilling experience because I think during this time where everything feels so helpless, we don't have a lot of control over our situation, especially as a student, I feel very uh, overwhelmed with just the state of how everything's changing. Being able to be a part of a volunteer project that is doing something to make it easier, make make these resources, these support resources available to, to COVID patients who don't have as much access as as we might hear. It's very, very fulfilling. You have your plate full. What is some advice that you would give to some other young people who also are interested in patient advocacy, but just don't know where to start or what to do? Well, first of all, look into the National Patient Advocacy Foundation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's how I genuinely, like I found it based on a Google search. So first look there. And I think that there are a lot of organizations online that need volunteers. So all summer I was looking for things and ways to stay involved. And the way I found the the UN project was simply from a Google search and they had an open application. I missed the application deadline. So I went and I found the nonprofit and I found the contact there and I sent them my application. And I just, that extra just saying, hey, I have an interest. These are my qualifications. I have time and I have the ability to help shoot your shot and you'll find something that you care about. You just want my heart. Shoot (laughs) your shot. Some people would be like, oh, well, the application like it's closed. I'll try next year or next time. But you're like, no, I'm qualified for this. This is something that interests me. If this one door is closed, I know that there must be an exit door somewhere here. (laughs) So let me go find that one. Thank you. Especially in college, I felt like when I came in, there was all these things that I felt like I had to do to to be a good student, you know, different opportunities that everyone does. And some things I enjoyed, some things I didn't enjoy, but I felt like if they're good for my resume, I should do them. But I didn't realize until 
about last year that there are a lot of things I can be involved in that are more in my skill set, more in things I'm passionate about that are the right path for me. Just like NPAF, the way I found this organization was earlier in, I think, April, I was writing a personal statement and I sent it to my advisor. And she said, everything you wrote is describing the role of a patient advocate. So I Googled patient advocacy and found you guys. That's the biggest thing is just being able to understand that there is something that is the perfect fit for you and to not stop looking for those things and not settle for things that you think you have to do because you'd probably be better at things you want to do. And that's great insight for you to have, especially at such a young age, because College kids do have a lot of pressure on them. At 18, pick a major that you're going to stick with for the next 60 plus years of your life. And when young adults don't feel drawn to something or feel like they're lacking clarity or, you know, they're getting pressure from their parents to fit in this certain box of what's successful, that can cause a lot of anxiety and strife with their identity because a lot of people's identity is tied towards their success and what their titles are and what they do. So for you to be able to have the wherewithal to break away from that, you know, and say, well, what feeds my soul? What impact do I want to have on this world? I really admire that, especially at the age that you're at, because there are some people in their 40s and 50s and been in careers for 20, 30 years and still haven't had the same aha moment that you just had. Thank you. I've had some pretty incredible mentors who have really nudged me onto this path, but absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, mentors are great. What are your plans for the future? It doesn't have to be a title or a specific job position or role, but what type of impact or legacy would you like to leave on this earth? Through my interpreting and through a lot of varied volunteering I've done and some personal experiences, I think something that I really care about is that that human side of clinical care. How that'll translate into a different career path, I will have to see. But one thing in the near future I'm aiming towards is a health literacy campaign to be able to improve the patient-physician relationships for Spanish-speaking patients, to be able to have um, more interactive translating through some sort of visual or technology. We had some ideas for different kinds of graphics to be able to improve that relationship. And then long term, what I really am interested in within public health is chronic health outcomes within within patients of color. I think just imp- by improving those relationships, not just for Spanish speaking patients, but in general, just making more empathetic and more encouraging interactions between physicians and patients and just being able to facilitate some of those relationships. There are a lot of different ways to go with that, but that's something I'm really, really passionate about. When I talk to patients who have chronic diseases, when they think of their experiences with their condition, the way they've interacted with their healthcare providers is generally what they talk about. That extremely important human element that I keep bringing up and how comfortable and how confident they they feel with themselves and how they're processing the uncertainty that comes with having a a body that doesn't do what we'd like it to. That is something I'm extremely passionate about. So I think that moving forward, I want to find some sort of avenue or some role where I can really facilitate those relationships and make those patients feel more confident and empowered in the 
the bodies that they have and more comfortable in the clinical interactions they have. That's a great goal to shoot towards because we need more people who have a vision like you for our healthcare system. It's the whole saying, people rarely remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. Yes. And if we thought about that in clinical settings, like, how did you make me feel? Did you make me feel empowered that I can go through this diagnosis and be strong? And, you know, like you mentioned about our bodies not doing what we want it to do. I don't know if every patient walks away from their clinical encounters feeling that way. So the fact that you've found a gap and figured out a place that you can um, serve in, I think that's, that's really awesome. And I'm excited to see where that goes. Thank you so much. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcasts for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.